0: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. That was good. Someone replied. Who was that? That was good. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Tom. I'm an assistant pastor here at Life Vineyard Church, and uh, we are kicking off our new series on worship. This morning, I dusted off my bike from the garage and cycled here. Um, I think I might regret it because there is rain forecast about midday, so you might see me cycling very fast down the uh, coast road. I'm a bit of a fair weather biker, but our eldest daughter Layla's five, and she's learnt to ride her bike over the summer. So I was thinking, oh, well, we can cycle to school together. So I set off on the school run this week and got a puncture within five minutes. So I had to then run back pushing it, uh, but I changed, changed the puncture um, and made it here today, a little bit sweaty, but I cooled down in time to speak to you. Um, I know Dave just prayed, but I I would like to pray, just uh, mostly for myself. This sounds a bit strange, but I recently started reading, uh, the Presbyterian Church have things called Prayers of Illumination, which they often begin talks with, and I think they're really beautifully written, so I'm just going to just read this prayer to us as we start. Father, prepare our hearts to hear your word. Silence in us any voice but your own that hearing we may also obey your will. Amen. I thought that was really, really nice. So we're starting a new series on worship, which if you've been around church any amount of time, you'll know is a foundational, fundamental, indispensable part of our lives as followers of Jesus. It is our highest calling to worship God. And the Bible is just full from start to finish of references to, calls to worship, instructions on worship, Far too many for us to share. Psalm 150 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. In Revelation 4, John sees into the throne room of heaven, and he sees the elders and the living creatures bowing down before God and worshipping him. And in Revelation 5, John sees thousands upon thousands of angels, ten thousand times 10,000 angels, and with them is every creature in heaven and earth, saying together with one voice, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That is our destiny. As the people of God, our destiny is to spend all of eternity in the glorious presence of God, worshiping him, worshiping in community with every tribe and every tongue. Isn't that amazing? I recently uh, met someone. We were on holiday in the Lake District and we we met a, a friend of Hannah's family who became a Christian whilst listening to a hymn being played. He'd come to church and he wasn't a Christian and it was the hymn before the throne of God above. And hearing the lyrics of that song, the Holy Spirit convicted him and he gave his life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Worship is so powerful. Dave said, In the vineyard... Worship is our highest value. And the leadership of the vineyard in the UK say they want worship to center around intimacy, integrity, accessibility, expectancy, and passion. And again, as Dave said, we've just started a series on intimacy in Revive. Last week, John Paul spoke to us about fostering intimacy through gratitude. And tonight, I'm gonna be talking again, so that might put you off. I'm gonna be talking on fostering intimacy through lament. So we'd love you to join us for those services coming up and of course our worship of God includes everything we do I'm sure we all would agree with that so our whole lives our family lives our work the way we spend our money the way we spend our time all of that should be worship to God but the last 18 months the pandemic have thrown corporate worship into sort of disarray specifically corporate worship has been challenged and shaken I'm sure we all remember the moment when the Prime Minister announced on television that we were going into lockdown. I saw a clip of it actually just a few weeks ago, I think maybe for the first time since I watched it live, and it was like, oh, I sort of shivered, and it was really weird watching it again, but I'm sure we remember that moment when suddenly everything had to go online, and the corporate church couldn't meet anymore, and I think for me in the last 18 months, one of the biggest challenges I've found is not being able to worship with people in person, not being able... To join together as the body of Christ and sing, pour out our hearts, be ministered to by the Holy Spirit in that corporate environment. And I find it difficult to really give you a snappy thesis on why that is. But I know in my life, when I look back, some of my most significant moments with God have been as I have been worshipping with other people. That first Sunday in July, when we could sing again for the first time, was an incredible moment. You know, It was an incredible moment. I was leading worship and I actually lost the ability to sing for most of it, which was slightly embarrassing just because I found, I found it quite overwhelming just hearing people sing again for the first time. And so with all that context, everything we've been through in the last 18 months, it felt like a really important moment for us as a church to look again at worship. What is it about? What does it call us to? What demands does the worship of God place on our lives? Meeting online has been a totally necessary part and response to the pandemic. And it's been great that we've been able to do it. It's great that we've got people at home joining us now. You're so welcome. Going forward, it will be a great way of people who are not able to join us to, to still take part and for people to sort of check us out before they come along. But there is a danger of watching online, and the danger is that church can begin to feel like anything else that we watch on television. I don't know if, like me, maybe you started to feel that, that you just sat in the same place, doing the same thing that you would do if you were watching Netflix or football or something like that. Villa won last night, 3-0. But, you know, that's the danger, that it can become a bit like a sort of consumer mentality. We get to the end of a TV program, and we review it. Maybe you chat to your spouse or your housemate. You say, well, what did you think? Oh, it was all right, you know. For example, I thought the ending of *Line of Duty* was dreadful. Sorry if you haven't seen it, but you know we review stuff, we read reviews online, but we don't gather to worship as a community to get something out of it. We gather to worship because God is worthy. God is worthy of our praise. I've been leading worship I think for around 20 years now, and I've I've been around church my whole life. My dad was a vicar, and I've often heard people say I didn't. Like that worship set, I didn't get much out of it. I've been guilty of thinking that myself, I'm sure you have too. And I often wonder if the Holy Spirit would want to say back, it wasn't for you, it wasn't for you. You know, we all have our favorite worship leaders, we have our favorite song, we all like you know, the lights to be dimmed to the the right level, just the right amount of smoke to come out of the smoke machines. (laughs) We don't have smoke machines. But you know, we all have our preference and we all bring our preference and that's okay, that's fine, that's normal but we have to remember what worship's about. I remember growing up, uh, we had a worship leader in the church I was in who who just loved doing Graham Kendrick songs. Now Graham Kendrick is a great guy. I've I've met him and spent time with him, but this was the sort of mid to early 2000s, and obviously the Holy Spirit was releasing new songs into the church at that point. And I remember my dad basically saying, with the worship pastor saying, for this season we only want songs that are about five years old, up to five years old to be sung, because we want to bring the church into a new season. And I remember that worship leader, he left the worship group because of that. Now, old, there's so many old songs that we sing here that are great, old hymns. There's not an issue with old songs, but in that season, the church wanted to focus on a new thing. And sadly, that guy's preferences didn't meet up with where the church was at. And I really feel like as a church, we, it will be so beneficial if we can come back to the heart of worship, which Matt Redman famously said a long time ago, and reassess where our hearts are at. How much of what we bring to worship is our own preference? And how much is based on God's worth? The pastor and author, A.W. Tozer, said this. The church that can't worship must be entertained. The church that can't worship must be entertained. And reading reading that quote this week, I just suddenly felt my heart to say, God, let us never become that church. Let us never become a church that can no longer worship, so we must be entertained. And so my question for all of us, me, all of us today, is do we come to be entertained or do we come to worship, to encounter God? Because I would, I would put forth this suggestion to you. If we aren't worshiping God, then we will be worshiping something else. If we aren't worshiping God, we will be worshiping something else. David Foster Wallace was a very respected American author. He didn't believe in God, but he said this quote, and I think it sums it up so well. He said this, Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. It hits home, doesn't it, when you read it? If you worship money, you will never have enough. If you worship your body, you will always feel insecure, If you worship sex and relationships, you'll never feel fulfilled. We all worship, our choice is what we worship. G.K. Chesterton put it like this We resemble what we revere, either for ruin or restoration. We resemble what we revere, either for ruin or for restoration. And I think what the pandemic, well, it's done many things, but one of the things it has done, it has shown us just how fragile and insignificant so many of the things that we revere or did revere are. You know, in the West, we, we believe this, this story of we're on a constant upward trajectory of prosperity, things are getting better, our GDP and economy will always grow, fulfillment is just doing in what you feel is good for you. And suddenly an organism so microscopic that you can't even see it brought all of us to our knees, brought us all to a standstill. You know, businesses have closed, schools closed, been a lot of sickness and death. I think the pandemic has exposed to us some of the idols that we had constructed individually and corporately. And I think for us here in the UK and in the West, a lot of those idols are to do with the good life that we believe we live, or at least we idolize. In the Old Testament, we read about the Israelites who have been rescued by God in the most uh, miraculous of ways, with the parting of the sea. They come out of Egypt, they come out of slavery. And, you know, this is an incredible moment. This is probably the most important moment in the Old Testament, potentially. And then Moses goes up the mountain to meet God face to face, to help them construct their new society. And literally while he's up there, the Israelites decide to melt their jewellery, form a golden calf and begin to worship it. Bad, bad mistake, bad choice. <laughs> and it's easy when we read that story to think, how stupid were they? How primitive? I mean, I, I would never do that. If, if, if I was enslaved in Egypt and God took me out, I, I would be sorted for the rest of my life. I would never forget him. And my counsel to us, all of us, would be don't be too quick to judge. Because yes, they were worshipping an idol. But there was no denying it. They were banged to rights. It was a huge golden calf. And now for us, no longer do we have golden calves, but we have careers. And we have wealth. And we have these little things in our pockets that shape and form us and disciple us through the lure of social media. Bruce Ellis Benson was a professor of philosophy he said this not only are we capable of creating idols and worshiping them we are likewise capable of being almost or completely blind to their existence. Our recognition of idols for what they are is often selective and so what I want to say to you this morning is this, there is a war going on for the love of your heart there is a war going on for who you give your worship to God is at war for you for your heart, and he is up against the idols we construct in his place in our lives. You know, another, I think, lie of, the, of, of, the, of uh, the modern self is that you always need to be true to your feelings, and that is how you be authentic. But again, I think we apply that selectively. So you may say, well, I don't feel like worshiping God today, I don't feel like going to church today, so I'm not going to do it because I want to be authentic. But if we, do we take the same approach to exercise or diet? You know, if I only went running when I felt like it and if I only ate what I felt like it, I don't know if I'd fit, fit through the door to get in here. Do you know what I mean? We choose, you make yourself do exercise because you know it's good for you and you choose to eat your greens and you don't get takeaway every night because you know it's good for you. Those of you who are married or you have know, been in a relationship for a long time will know that any success in a relationship You cannot base it all on feelings. Love is a choice. I think maybe that's why the divorce rate is so high in this country. And you choose to commit to your spouse in the day-to-day ups and downs of your relationship. Eugene Peterson said this, We live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God in worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. I love that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel our way into a new way of acting. So when you come to worship, we give God our praise, and in doing so, however you feel when you come to worship, you will nurture and foster your relationship with him. So we resemble what we revere for ruin or restoration. But also, what the pandemic has given us, and I'd say this is a good thing, is... That that word at the end, restoration. This is a point where we can choose what we are going to rebuild with as we come together again. As we meet at Marley Hill and here, as we have live worship at both venues, as we build the church back up again, we can choose what are the things we're going to lay into this new foundation that we are building. And are the things that we used to do before that weren't necessarily bad things, but things that that are no longer what God wants us to pursue. And are there new things that we want to draw in as a church? In the build-up to this series, I had the privilege of interviewing Brian Dirksen that many of you I'm sure have heard of. He's a bit of a vineyard legend, uh, a worship leader, and he's written lots of songs over the years that, well, the global church of song, like Come Now is the Time and Refine as Fire, Faithful One. And at the start of the interview with him, and we're going to release the whole thing on our podcast and clips on social media, so keep your eyes open for it. But I asked him at the start what the Holy Spirit had been whispering to him in the moment we are in. And hopefully, if the video works, we'll be able to watch that now.
1: Well, uh, Tom, thanks for that. Thanks for having me on this. You know, I, I love having these kinds of conversations. And I think when we have these conversations, we realize that we're we're all different, but we're all hearing some of the same whispers, some of the same we're having some of the same stirrings, right? And we are we are in a, in a time where we are having a, a, a beautiful opportunity to um, restart, reevaluate, you know all of those things. So maybe if I can answer this question maybe in a couple of different ways. Um, the first thing, that comes to me that I've been and and this was really started for me before the pandemic happened um and that was and I love I really appreciate actually that you used the word whisper because that's one of the main ways in which I hear I feel like that god and get inspired as I hear these whispers I hear these gentle nudges right and um, when we talk about Okay, well, what is worship? How can we reevaluate? What's the heart of it, and all of that? Um, for me, it's actually come down to something pre-singing, pre-any um, gathering or anything, and it has to do with my uh, breath, my what what some call the breath prayer. In other words, bringing worship back down to something that's so elemental and so foundational and um you know one of the, the uh the um words for god that um is you know thousands of years old and you know scholars don't know fully uh, how to pronounce it but the, the one of the main closest ways is yahweh right this and but what the interesting thing is when you stop and think about breathing in and breathing out it sounds like that word like right so it's like it's like worship is dialing in our awareness that every breath is a gift and it's the inhale it's the exhale and i i was feeling really you know um, struggling with some anxiety, some stress, some the pace of life. I'm I'm kind of a I'm a I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a ponderer is one of my nicknames. <laughs> you know, Brian the Ponderer. Like I, I like taking time to just be in something and ponder it for a while. And sometimes the freneticness of modern life just is not doesn't do me good. And I had many times, even times when I was in busy crowds or about to catch a flight and was going to maybe miss my flight and waiting in a long queue, I would hear the whisper, you know, do the breath prayer. Like, just pray my name. You know, one of my breath prayers is Abba. You know, like, and it just like i remember this distinct time i i was going to miss my flight for this meeting and if i missed it the whole point of the trip was gone and i just spent that hour in that queue breathing aware of it aware of god aware of grace so so and In the end, I was the last person to get on that plane, but I spent that entire hour completely at peace and I thought, you know, worship isn't just some one hour we get to spend together singing our songs and getting a a high and then kind of slowly descending and crashing the rest of the week and then getting our next fix. Like, worship is, can be as consistent as every breath we take, as, as a sense of devotion, as a sense of gratitude, a sense of surrender. So
0: good. So, as I said, look out for the rest of that interview. But isn't that amazing, you know, this call to bring worship back down to something as simple as being grateful that we, of the air we breathe, of God's presence with us. You know, take away the stage, take away the big sound, the YouTube worship moments, take it all away. And are we, are we able to worship God through the breath we breathe? In John 4 23 to 24, we read this amazing statement that Jesus makes to the woman he's met at the well, a Samaritan woman. He says this But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So here Jesus is defining carefully what is coming and what is here now on the earth. A worship of God in spirit and truth. And he's not talking metaphysically here he's talking about the dynamic and life-giving character of God. God cannot be apprehended or comprehended by us, but his effects cannot be denied. God is spirit. And worshipping in spirit and in truth is not a catalogue of two features. It is one inseparable concept. That worship is both empowered by God, but also informed by God as well. That worship is powered by God and informed by the revelation of God that we get through the Bible about the life of Jesus Christ. Later, Jesus will refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. And so, this worship that Jesus inaugurated was no longer tied to holy places or, or certain meetings. This was the Holy Spirit coming to live in us. Jesus was dealing with this new reality. Of worship, the new age of the kingdom that he ushered in. So spirit and truth are the center of living worship. So knowing who it is that we worship is of utmost importance. You can't worship something in ignorance. I mean, you could try, but you wouldn't do very well at it. We need to know who we are worshiping. And he was talking here to the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. He was explaining to her who he was. But it's not only who we worship... The truth that matters, but in what way? By the Holy Spirit. Worship in spirit and in truth. One commentator put it like this. He says, the spirit and the truth are always interacting back and forth. One leading to the other, then back again. The spirit brings us into truth. And the truth draws us into the spirit. You cannot separate the two. We live in spirit and truth. And that is what we want this series to be all about. We want our worship to come back to these foundational truths, these building blocks that Jesus told us to build on, worshiping in spirit and truth, filled with the Holy Spirit and based entirely on the truth of who God is. I think connected to that as well in in a big way is worshiping in a way that reflects what God is doing here amongst us as a community. You know, in the same way, that You probably wouldn't be happy if this morning I just copy and pasted someone else's preach from a different church and then gave it. I've never done that, just in case you're wondering. But that wouldn't be good enough. That wouldn't be acceptable, would it? You know, the preaches that we bring to you are a reflection of what we feel the Holy Spirit wants to share with us. And so, as a church, in the same way, we are passionate about seeing singing songs birthed in this community, in this church. And if you've been around for a few years, you know we've really been pushing into that. We released our first album a couple of years ago, an EP last year. We're hoping to record our next one next month. You know, we place huge importance on reflecting in our worship what God is doing here amongst us. In another part of the interview, (laughs) Brian sort of set off a little bit of a firecracker. Because he said, sometimes the songs that we sing from the big worship groups and the popular bands that are great songs can sometimes be, and he said this, not me, (laughs) I might agree with him, but he said, he said sometimes they can be like Trojan horses in your church because they bring with them a different culture to the culture you are trying to build. Now, that's not, that's not in there bad at all. There's so many great songs that are released in the church that we love to sing, but we need to make room for what God is doing amongst us in our worship as well. So we've covered a lot of ground, and I'm going to start to bring things in. But I want to talk about a few practical things that we can take away from today. And we've got lots of weeks coming up where we're going to look at different aspects of worship. But how can we begin again to bring our worship back to God? And how can we begin again to, to tear down the idols that we maybe have built in our hearts? Richard Foster, who wrote uh, Celebration of Discipline, says this. To worship is to experience reality with a capital R. To touch life. It is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. It is a breaking into the Shekinah of God—that means the glory of God—or better yet, being invaded by the Shekinah of God. And in his book, he gives some. uh, There's a chapter on worship, and he gives some practical things. And I've picked just just a few out. So the first one is this: he says we need to cultivate a preparation for worship. So in the Bible, a feature of worship is that people would gather with a holy expectancy. They believed they were going to come and meet God, that he would come and be with them. And so when we gather to worship, we need to foster a holy expectancy. And I know that's difficult. I have a one-year-old and a five-year-old. I know that we can come in the door with all sorts of things going on stressful jobs, parenting, relational stress. We, we can come through the door with, with a whole range of emotions, but we need to foster that expectancy. Because sometimes it can only take one or two people in a community and they can lead the community with them. They can draw, it's almost as if like one or two people are just so desperate for God to come that their desperation leads for God to move. And I think there are people here today, you're listening, that is a call God's placed on you. Like a Levite, someone whose calling is to welcome in the presence of God when other people maybe are struggling. So we need to prepare for worship, grow our expectancy. Secondly, we need to be aware of the different steps into worship. And he says we learn to worship by worshiping. It's not rocket science. We learn to worship by worshiping. So we need to practice the presence of God daily. Worship in your quiet time when you get up. Worship as you drive to work, as you walk to school, as you take your lunch break. Worship as you come home. Worship as you lie down in your bed at night. Worship alone. Worship in your life group. Worship as a family. Worship on the streets. We get better at worship. Well, better is the wrong word, but we we draw closer to God the more we worship. And there are so many different avenues and steps we can take to draw into worship. Another point he said is this: is that we need to absorb distractions with gratitude. And what he talks about here is that, and I, and I totally, this one really spoke to me because I try and get up a little bit earlier than the rest of the family to have a quiet time. And sometimes I make the effort to get out of bed. I go into my office, and then our one-year-old begins to cry in the cot. And I'm just like, "Just be quiet! You're disturbing my quiet time," and I get angry. And Richard Foster says we need to absorb distractions with gratitude. So if if on a Sunday someone is doing something distracting, just bless them and pray for them. Thank God that they're part of our community. And just relax into your time with God. Relax into your time with God. And the last point that I want to draw out is that we need to learn to offer a sacrifice of worship. True worship of God should cost us something. It should cost us something. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I know one of the talks in the series is going to look at that, so I'll stop talking about that one, otherwise the person on the rotor will get cross. (laughs) But they are some little practical points that we can think about today. So as we move into a a time of response, I, I, I felt like we needed to as a community together come before the Lord and maybe repent of any idols that we know have begun to take his place in our worship. Because I felt like if we are gonna talk about worship, if we are going to move deeper into worship as a community, then we can't do that with integrity if at the same time we have things that we know are currently in God's place, partly, fully, whatever it might be. You know, we need to lay down our preferences, our feelings, our hang-ups. And we need to put God on the throne, individually and corporately. Tim Keller says this, an idol is something you look to for things that only God can give. He also says this, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life as meaning then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. For some of this, this might be your career. It might be your house, your car. It might be your spouse, your children. All of these things are good things, but they can become idols. I think as Christians, we all agree and we know that we need to die to sin and the bad things we do in our lives. But do you know what? As Christians, sometimes we need to die to the good things in our life as well. Because often the good things are the things that can subtly, become idols without us even realising us I didn't plan to talk about this but there's a story that appears in all three of the synoptic gospels where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and we read that he comes to him and he says how must, how must I inherit eternal life I mean that's a, a huge question a question that the whole of humanity probably asks how can I live forever and in response Jesus talks about money it's weird It's strange. You know, he doesn't say, believe in me. He doesn't say, stop doing, you know, stop sinning. He he talks about money and he says, give away everything you have to the poor. And we're told that the rich young ruler leaves. And the NIV says he's sad, but the New King James says he grieved. And I think that's a, a better word for it. Because the word in the Greek there is the same word that is described of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The emotion felt was similar and in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus was facing separation from the most important thing to him the foundational thing to him the thing that gave him purpose and that was he was facing separation from the father he was going to be separated from the father and he grieved and then we read the rich young ruler responded in the same way when he faced separation from his money we're told in the story that he was good and just and fair he hadn't made his money illegally or immorally But the money had taken a place in his life. The money to him was the same as the father was to Jesus. And that is what we need to deal with when we come to worship God. So I'm going to invite the the worship band up. That would be great. And as they come up, why don't we stand now and just welcome the Holy Spirit to come. So, our Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence here. And we know this is this is difficult and challenging, but Father, we, we know that you are love and perfect love. So, Father, we, we're not here to be condemned. We are here to become more like you, Jesus. So, we just invite your presence to come. And I just invite you now, and you don't have to do it. It's totally your choice, but I invite you now, just in, in your heart, to say, so, the Holy Spirit, reveal to me an idol that I have in my heart. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. And I would also then say to you that in my experience, it's often the first thing that you then picture is often, often the thing that the Holy Spirit and what happens is in my experience is if I pray a prayer like that, I think of something, and then I think, no, 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 no. That's, I'm not, that's not an idol. <laughs> and I dismiss it because I suddenly realize the gravity of what dealing with it would involve. But as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, just listen to his voice and his love. So Father, we pray that you would reveal to us in this moment any idols that we have built. Father, anything that in this moment of our lives is taking away our worship from you. As I was writing this, I thought about a time in my life. It was 2018 and I worked for the Press Association for nearly six years. I was a journalist and I really loved my job. But we started to feel as a family that God was calling me to, to quit my job in faith and, and go freelance and trust that He would provide. And you know, it had taken me all over the world. It done, I loved the job, but the call from God, it just got louder and louder. And I suddenly became aware that the biggest fear I had in doing that was what will my former colleagues think of me if I fail? What will they think about me if I fail? And I suddenly became aware that that was an idol in my, in my heart. The sort of status that came with the job I had. I feared what people would think of me. And I had to deal with it. So let's just rest in this, in this space for a few minutes more before we worship. And if you feel like God has revealed something to you, then the next thing I would say is, well, ask him, what should I do about it? Because he doesn't just want to come and say something to you and then leave you. There may be steps that you need to take. Maybe you need to reallocate time in the week. You know, when it, comes, when it comes to money, people say, well, what percentage should I give away? Well, Jesus tells the rich young ruler there to give everything away. And in the next chapter in Luke, he tells the kids to give away 50%. So don't worry about percentages. The giving that Jesus calls us to is sacrificial giving
1: because the cross is our example.